Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So how do we begin now that we've uh, erased our beginning? We say welcome back to the creep dive. Welcome back to the creep dive. After a brief foray into libel, we are back in line. We're back for our weekly freebie. And uh, I have a juicy one (laughs) for you. I have a great story. I really, I really enjoyed this story that I'm about to tell you. Is there any house creeping though? Do we have a few birthdays? Yeah. Oh, I forgot oh, this yeah. fucking Dempsey's Den bullshit. I love no it. Offense. <laughs> no, no offense. No offense to Dempsey. That is good. It is good. I know. Uh, yeah. Go on. Who has it? The info. The next birthday person. Hold on. I'll get it up here. There is a birthday. It is Amy Tulin's 30th birthday this week. Woo-hoo! She's a big fan. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Thanks for well having it's that wholesome. came in from your in from your cousin Kat, Kat, Catherine Ng. That's Gorge. What a thoughtful, mm. thoughtful cousin. Um, I really like this slight, like this kind of wholesome dimension that uh, we've got going at the moment. Really, yeah. I think it's gas. It's brilliant. What? Okay, other than so, we knew Megan. She came in to do it, but like, if my cousin rang. Lou, or texted Louis Theroux's Instagram saying, look, Jen is a big fan of this podcast, Grounded. Could you do a shout out? And then I was listening to Louis Theroux do a shout out to 
okay, I would be thrilled, but yeah. also mortified. Yeah, but like no one's around Why, to you see you embarrassed. Cool so like if you're mortified in a room alone, are you really mortified? <laughs> Fair. Just the thought of like all these people listening going, I don't give a shit about this stranger. Why you is should all, Everyone should give a little little care. Everyone for care for Amy. No, I'd say they're listening and being like, ooh, Jen O-D-W-Y-O-Y-E-R just wrapped her mouth around that woman's name. That must feel good. That's disgusting. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, all right. Uh, that's Sunny. great. That's our little... And thank you again. We've had a great week of our last... Whatever last... Anyway, we did our Sunday Creep and Craft. It was brilliant. It really and, was. Uh, we had a great Zoom on Thursday as well. Sophie put did it. What was your man's name? Um, David Coffer. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. You shared, so Sophie shared a screen and an old. Uh, uh, it was magical. Well, sorry, it wasn't magical. It was illusion. It was very wonderful. Good. It was. It was. Very so, it was actually fun. really fun to talk it while simultaneously watching. So it was kind of fun. I mean, it was sort of like being in a vortex. But you I know, know I was actually. Worked. I came away from it being like. I wonder, should we do like a watch party? Like how much fun would it be to do like a creep dive patron watch party where we all on a sh- just get on a Zoom together. Somebody shares their screen and we watch like hereditary and just. <laughs> oh, my God. Absolutely each other in the chat lose our minds. Yes. Yeah, I think that would be so much fun. What's I definitely fucking do it. Oh, <gasps> Jen. If it's Jen's first viewing of Hereditary as well, that would be like a momentous historic event. You'll fucking love it. It's the same guy who did Summer, uh, Summer, Midsummer. Oh, yes, I did love that. Oh, it's so good. I can't. I'm actually not looking at the Zoom right now. Is Cassie's face? Yes. Okay, exactly as I predicted. Cassie is just holding I have seen her head in though. her hands and looks I'm like actually, she hates this idea. No, I'm actually not entirely adverse to horror movies or scary movies because Lydia loves them so like I have been I have I suppose been preparing for this for the last five years since I've been thank you Lydia watching them caught up on many of them that I had never seen I Um, they're like my comfort viewing cast like I was reading Ashton Keenan's piece on Rogue this week and it was all about like how she really likes just quite like untaxing sort of like pleasant content at the moment during pandemic that she's just like rewatching Richard Curtis movies and nice, nice like friendly nice podcasts. Bit like, little and bit of RuPaul, never heard anybody. I mean, I this week begged Seb, uh, who I have to kind of share the TV with somewhat to watch like a horror movie with me. And he wouldn't even really like the compromise we came to was Scream 2. Which slasher movies was such are a good so, rewatch, guys. Yeah, but they're it's so, so funny. It's so ridiculous good. in their nature that they're not scary. And it's like the Babadook is scary for 10 minutes. And then the minute you see the Babadook, which happens very early on in the film, you're like, what the fuck is this? It's just com- <laughs> yeah. silly, 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 <laughs> silliness, Babadook. But some of them fuck me up entirely. See, when I was younger, I watched this French horror film called Them, which has been remade in uh has has been made into an american one i think also called them and uh it's about these children who break into a house and they like live in the sewers and it was at the end it was like based on a true story and it just fucked me up entirely and i just i don't know why you would sit through 90 minutes of being terrified 
I just love it. Like all through Christmas, I, it was so great because Seb wasn't around much. And I just had my Christmas horathon completely undisturbed. Well, obviously disturbed by the films. I just like it. it. I don't have to be there's a psychological reason that some people I some I people like not watch them. And it was I think since having kids, I just can't get involved in them anymore. Um, do you know, but the, exactly what are you getting out of them? Do you like that tension, the feeling of being tense? I feel like it actually helps me cope with more real life uh, difficult scenarios and stress and things like that. I find it a release. Maybe it's a cathartic release. Like exposure therapy. Kind of, perhaps. Like, I do remember, I can't remember what was going on. There was something going on last year that was really hard. I can't remember. It might have been family related or something. And I remember just finding solace in like... The grimmest shit ever. Yeah. I just think you should be really careful about what you say in case you're ever accused of a crime and this is used as character evidence against you and they'll be like she's obviously a psychopath Psychopath. she finds her people in horror movies her comfort watch is Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah Texas Chainsaw Massacre really gets me I could have a Jennifer Aniston marathon constantly on no any screen wherever I go she is there's something is it Alan McGuire as well from Juvenalia just has wants a the best Jennifer Aniston yeah but like, I, she's just she's very talented I don't think that she gets the, the the recognition she deserves she was robbed I'll say it again for the Oscar for Cake and yeah, Jennifer Aniston star of the horror screen in the Leprechaun Leprechaun <laughs> that's right do you know what I think it is by the way I think horror Ooh. might be the perfect genre like I that I think that it's like it doesn't take itself too seriously. I was going to say it does have lols. You often see horror movies like working out kind of bigger psychological sort of uh, scenarios and issues, and I always think that's very interesting. Hmm. You know, hmm. honestly, I just think it's one of the most fascinating genres because it's such a collision of all of them. Like you'll find high camp. You'll find physical comedy in a horror. You'll find a lot of kind of, they're very self-aware, self-referencing. Like Fantasy. Scream 2 was like a massive, it was like inception of references. And Scream, but Scream 1 is based on a true story too. You know that? No, that's the other I thing. They're almost all based on true stories and that's brilliant. Like I find that well, fascinating. So Scream 1 that. is based on the Gainesville Ripper, which is a story that is one it's really like in terms of violence one of the darkest i think and the it was basically gainesville is a town in america i can't remember what state it's in but it's a college town florida no gainesville florida Florida, sounds about right yeah and um basically he terrorized this college town and even like do you remember in scream where like um the first murders occur and they bring in a curfew for the town and it's really creepy and they have like um you you guys don't look like you remember do you not have yeah. an encyclopedic kind of. knowledge of screen i'm just really in my head going to a place where someone's like see ladies and gentlemen of the jury she had an encyclopedic knowledge, knowledge of, of screen horror and came the ripper violence well anyway the, that the in the real life story they put the whole town on curfew as well to try and um stop the murders because they were happening like 
so it was like a spree killing really like that they were all happening really close together like a few days apart and some of the crime scenes and the way the bodies were found I mean to be honest too much for the creep dive is what I would have always get the fuck out of here really well I'll tell you about one of them so I think it's just off the top of my head just off the top of my head don't don't hold me to this, but I'm pretty sure this is how the first body was found. Was somebody was looking for the girl who lived in this house. Um, she had like not showed up for something and they went to the house and you could go around the back of where she was living. And she had blinds pulled down on these kind of sliding doors at the back of the house. And whoever was looking for her uh, got down and could see feet at the couch and was like oh she's she is in there like and was like knocking on the window and then they managed to kind of get a better view of the room and realized that they were look they were looking at her body arranged on the couch decapitated and her head was across the room on the mantelpiece looking back at the body Whoa! I'm pretty sure that was the arrangement. That was how it was arranged, and it was really set up, like set up to completely shock and traumatize someone. Fascinating, isn't it? That okay? So he did that for the, the exactly right the people who would the find impact. the body. Yeah, but sure, would he? And then, do you know enough to know whether he would be around? So he would hear the reaction reported in the papers. They probably say something along the lines of like unusual scenes or whatever most horrific murder ever oh totally and the fact that they put the whole town on curfew and into lockdown so basically loads of people had things like kind of big group sleepovers because people were really really scared to be alone or even to be in like twos and threes because he had attacked another apartment where there was a guy and a girl living together and you'd think like they were friends they weren't a couple but like you would think oh okay there's two of us that's not his mo one of us is a dude we'll be able to overpower someone together and they he killed the two of them horrifically and when they were discovered which was a couple of days into the whole spree um the person who discovered them they found out, they realized later he had completely disturbed the guy at work. So the guy had come into the hall of the apartment, seen the male occupant dead on the ground. And he rushed back out, obviously, and immediately called the police because obviously everything was out and underway. Everyone knew this guy was loose in the town and the police arrived. They went in and the guy who I think I want to say he was the janitor I feel like he was still there anyway, the guy, whoever it was. And he looked into the hall and he was like, oh, fuck. There was a bag in here. There was a black bag beside this guy's body and it was gone. Whoa. So they realized that he had walked right in on top of this whole thing. And um, that freaky out like forevermore, not only having found the bodies, but then that realization that you were there the same time you you'd be like, okay, feet from someone. Who was just yeah. doing this horrific shit. And then that like, sounds amazing, so so you should do this in a maybe I should do the real too story. dark. Get some actual facts going here. I mean no, no, no. it's pretty close on facts. The guy yeah. was caught and he was imprisoned. And as is fucking always the way, got married in prison. Ah. Uh, some fucking woman. To a parent friend. 
she was a crime writer. Oh my god! Get out of town. I know. I've searched did she write and searched, and searched? She was writing her, a piece about him. She was writing a book about him and fell in love with him, and then they got married. It's and so obviously, nuts. she never released then the book or the piece. Oh no, I think she totally did. She did as well. But, yes, I, mean, I can find it um, while we chat, but. Uh, I'm thinking of she disturbed she myself by piece. how much information on the Gainesville Ripper I had just to hand there. Just so there. fun inside here. And look at me, I'm actually dressed as an overgrown baby. Like if anyone met me yeah. just out and about, it'd be a real shocker. Do you like my new baby growth? I see yeah, it. It actually looks really well. I made yeah, it Gainesville for myself. It, with all the fucking time you have, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm so in this piece from memory. Do, oh, yeah. Does, do you remember the tone of the piece being, uh, or a book? Was it a book? That she wrote it's a book. It? I mean, hang on, I'll find it real quick because, as far as I remember, it has a fucking hilarious title. Um, and is she defending him? Is she acknowledging? Well, like she his, obviously his comes to some sort of conclusion that he's a nice enough guy. Like if she marries him. Um. I mean, I feel I wanted to um, do a story about her alone because I thought she was such a brilliant creep. But yeah. um, I kind of felt like there wasn't enough in it, really. Um, so her uh, book is called Come On, Where Is It? Hang on. Rip Out My Heart. What was his name again? The oh, Gainsbury. Actually, um, I thought it was something like how I married the Gainsbury uh, uh, murderer. But no, it's the making of a serial killer. The real story of the Gainesville um, murders. Oh, that's interesting because she's focused murders, on murders. Yeah. And the um, making of uh, presumably his history and why he ended up with interviews with him. That could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think they kind of they, there's some debate about whether kind of she did it to get the story you know oh that's well i mean it, it surely it'd be easy enough you wouldn't have to be in person with them a whole lot she's definitely very controversial she was also the girlfriend of another convicted murderer and suspected serial killer gj schaefer she has a type <laughs> Uh, she has a type do you think that do you know that she is a very handsome woman as well is she yeah do you want to see do you think her, she her has name sort sandra of a fetish London. a fetish sandra sandra i would say like, it could like be her kink is serial killer yeah or like she likes the kind of notoriety of being associated with them in this way wow okay she's, she's beautiful she looks like a kind of an old movie star doesn't she yeah when she's young oh yeah how she doing now? <laughs> um, she's she sports quite interesting makeup uh, now. That is terrifying looking. Oh, let's see. She's gone from trying to allure the serial killer with her <gasps> oh, I see girlish mean. good looks <laughs> to gone into alluring them by imitating a corpse. Uh, yeah, I would say that that that's possibly what's going on. Near there. accurate, yeah. Like if a if a clown died suddenly <laughs> that's but like what it's those, what was, the clown would have died in makeup what was that um band that they were all dressed as clowns posse 
insane clown, clown posse and clown so obviously insane clown posse uh if one of them died or their mother died i'd say that's that's an accurate representation not to shit on over her makeup choices and they're just is it a blending issue um i would say somewhat it ain't ended till it's blended sandra yeah definitely a blending issue well, interesting though that's amazing sophie thank you for that uh, <laughs> off the cuff creep mm. an insight into your dark dark mind i mean it's marvelous if there was ever any doubt that there's probably something very wrong with me so you i mean if you take a sharp week i'll be the creep if you, of the week. I'll take if you it. were to take a, a sharp left in your like memory palace you'd probably come across something much daintier like a knitting pattern or, a, <laughs> or a just just a quick brunch recipe i know it's the brunch that sort of yeah, sums up the whole what we are, isn't it? Yeah. Brunch. Well-rounded. Knit <laughs> and kill. We could be like a... BTK. killer? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. B- oh, BTK. Brunch, brunch, well, it's probably TB. Um, brunch, terror and knit. Brunch, terror, knit. Anyway. For any, uh, <laughs> like for people Googling BTK, I'm, maybe none of our listeners need to Google that. <laughs> we all know who BTK is, surely. Um, Bind, Bonus points kid. if you know his real name. Oh. Dennis. No. Dennis Raider. Dennis yeah. Raider. Yeah. Did you know that off the top of your head as well? Custard too. Don't leave Just me out there, here. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> I didn't know his second name. Shut Incredible. up, Cassie. You knew his second name. <laughs> okay. Somebody all tell right, me anyway. a creepy story. All right, Cassie, what have you got? You can pick, Soph. Ooh. Um, okay, my my Buzz clickbait headline. headline, BuzzFeed headline is um, manslaughter or men are just idiots. Ooh. God damn it. Tempting. Alienating oh, yeah. our core Here's audience. mine. Uh, this is the story of... The radium girls, the glow in the dark, oh. chinless possible. Oh. Well, you're getting both. It's just the We're order. getting both. Let's take, will we go Cassie's first? Yes, let's bring us out there on a, on a radioactive high. Yeah. Um, okay, so mine, do you ever watch those? I know you do, Jen, but you watch those YouTube videos where people have failed so hard. You're mm. like, fuck they must be dead yes like there is no way they survived that i think we talked briefly about this before on episodes like those fail videos particularly those ice bucket challenge fails where you're watching someone harm themselves so much you know that they're either seriously harmed or dead and like it's the jackass kind of thing where guys injure themselves and no one pays heed to it because you just assume that they'll wake up fine uh, this is the story where things did not work out fine. And it is a story placed in Penn State University in 2017. We're at the Beta Theta Pi fraternity. Oh, red of course flag. we are. <laughs> Wait, and only good things happen in frat houses. Exactly. And it's hazing season. So hazing is this bizarre initiation ceremony uh it's known as ragging or whatever and it's a practice of sort of like rituals or tasks or activities that involve basically harassing abusing and humiliating new members into a fraternity 
it looks hell. It's. I, don't, it's I mean, just, it would turn you right off. It just. What and the idea is that, like, you go through this this initi- initiation of these horrible things being done to you, then you do it to the incoming year, and then afterwards you graduate and you're all upstanding members of society. I would say it's flawed. It's, and you're uh, funneled into positions of power. Like, yeah. Like presidents of the United like, States of America. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> Was it, wasn't the Boris Johnson pig fucking amazing as well? David yeah. was that Boris Johnson? Oh, David was that Cameron. Not David, Cameron? David Cameron. Sorry, but I feel like was there was a whole bunch of them there. <laughs> yeah, like there are these college pranks or things beaten. that happen that are uh, absolutely ridiculous, right? So we're in hazing season at Beta Theta Pi fraternity, right? And Beta Theta Pi had um, a sort of uh, reputation for being one fraternity that was a bit uh, questionable. And so they had in earlier years, in like 2007, something had happened in 2007, 2009, and they inputted this idea that they were going to be this upstanding fraternity, be no alcohol based during their hazing or initiation season, uh, and that they would like be incredible people. To the point where a previous member of Beta Theta Pi, um, who had become an absolute, as of like, because he's a white man in America, had become incredibly successful. Um, and he had done up the house that they lived in. So I'm just going to get his name here in my notes. So an alumnus named from the class of 1970 named Donald Abbey visited the house Beta Theta Pi in 2004. He had been a fullback and, you know, partic- just... I suppose stereotypically, uh, yeah, like a, a football player. Um, he'd gone come on to be gone on to become a billionaire real estate investor and builder in California. And when he went back to the Beta House, he was horrified that it had become repulsive and just like disgraceful. So he, I I wouldn't use the word invested. He blew $8.5 million (gasps) on the most extensive renovation of an American fraternity house in (laughs) history. (laughs) What the fuck did he do to it? That is insane. Well, to to give you an overview of his own personal tastes. So Donald Abbey seems like a tacky fucker at the best of times. He had built himself a mansion, one of his mansions in California, in the San Gabriel Valley. What had an underground firing range, and um, it had a temperature, oh a temperature-controlled trout pond, an oak-paneled <laughs> elevator, a Venetian and Venetian plaster masterpieces throughout his mansion. So his vision for Beta Theta Pi was to do something similar, and he wanted to refurb the house into something that you would see in a college movie. Beta um, Theta Pi sounds delicious. Beta Theta Pi sounds, yeah, like something you would Every you would. time you say it, I'm like, I want a pie. I'd imagine like some sort of summer fruits melody. But um, so the bathrooms had heated floors. They had copper ceilings in the kitchens. They had hand carved maho- mahogany tables imported from Colombia. They had biometric fingerprint scanners as you walked into the house. <laughs> Um, well, if it's like worth he, he 8.5 was, mil, that makes sense. He yeah. wasn't uh, there in the house. This was just for students he didn't even know. 
It's yeah, a prestige yeah, thing though, isn't it? He's left, okay. he's left some 30, like, 34 years previously, right? Yeah, and there's probably um, going to be some like plaque on the front of it. Isn't there? Yeah, That's kind of exactly. what they do. They get rich and they come back and they build a library and they put like, their name on it. Would you be fucking A library arse. is actually fucking worth a damn though. This fancy yeah. house is complete full. So the renovations took the best part of three years completing in 2007 and almost immediately the young college students began obviously having parties thrashing the house and Abby was really pissed off. So he installed 14 security cameras throughout the house, the oh. public rooms, um, which was totally unprecedented. No other houses had it. Um, they weren't secret cameras, but it was there to kind of warn the lads off that this is, uh, you know, shite behave, you know, don't don't behave badly. Yeah, them. yeah. There's some kind of ramifications to what you do. Uh, which, which is sort of good if he's good it for feels the... Like, Rampant put all the sexual money assault in. that's on American yeah. campuses. True. So the lads, even with the cameras, started behaving really poorly. Um, so in 2009, the National Fraternity put that uh, fraternity house on probation. So basically, they weren't allowed to have alcohol within the house. And their hazing was supposed to be completely, um, completely... Uh, sober. Sober. So, but they still continued. And... Um, their behavior just became worse and worse and worse, right? They actually were suspended for a period of time for about a year, um, but reopened in 2010. And they won this award. It's called the Season Award, which is the highest honors of the national fraternity. Um, but within no time at all, they began back to their shite behavior. They're lads in college. They are, you know, Chipping on the walls and stuff. (laughs) Exactly, right? So they have a history of behaving particularly badly. There's cameras all over the house. Nothing has stopped these people from from behaving themselves. It's just obviously a cultural thing with data paid a high or whatever they're called that they can act like absolute and utter dickheads, right? So fast forward then to September 2017. Sorry, February 2017. And Timothy John, um, Timothy John Piazza, is an incoming student in Penn State University. And he has decided that he wants to join the chapter of Beta Theta Pi. Um, so on the night of February 2nd, 2017, there was a particular hazing activity in the fraternity. And Timothy, Tim drank copious amounts of alcohol in a very short amount of time um it was part of an obstacle course of the hazing activity called the gauntlet which required each pledge to drink from a bottle of vodka drink a beer and finally drink a bag of wine um all of each yeah so like this is like an obstacle course that they've set up obviously to kind of like set the guys up for failure fill them with alcohol full do ridiculous activities or whatever but it transpired that um, Tim was on, on prescription antidepressant tablets, so it had contributed to him feeling extremely drunk extremely quickly. Um, in his state of intoxication, he fell down the basement stairs and oh. was knocked unconscious. So a couple of the lads went down, carried him up to a couch, a couch where 
they uh, where he could be. He was in view then of the security cameras, right? So the security cameras noticed that there was a conspicuous bruise that bloomed on his left abdomen, but it was shown to have originated from another one of the alcohol-fueled rush events earlier on in the week. Um, but sometime later, Tim regained consciousness and fell off the couch. Oh, so God. three of the three of the Sounds brothers like came along. Bernie's. Ernie's. It just sounds like it sounds hell. Three of the brothers came along, picked him up and placed him back on the couch. Security footage shows them poking him, slapping him, see if he's okay, see if they can wake him up, whatever. Uh, there are also a couple of lads come along and they just sit down on his legs. Like no one is taking this seriously. They are just um, pissing about the place. Oh right? my God. So... Another another one of the rushes or the newly initiated members, a student who's trying to get into the thing, comes along and he finds Tim on the couch and he starts administering kind of first aid. And he's like, this guy's not OK. Um, he tried to encourage the fraternity members to call 911 and get an ambulance to the house. But he was shoved up against the wall and kind of like hit. Told to shut up. And just told to shut the fuck up. Right. So at 3.30 a.m. on February 3rd, Tim stands up, but he once he reached a standing position, he fell backwards. So he continues to try and stand up, but every time he stands up, he's falling back down. Oh, God. Finally, he's able to stand up, but he staggers towards the lobby area of the house and fell headfirst into an iron railing and landed on a stone floor. Oh, oh he my got up. God. Yeah, like you can imagine it. He's just in it. Fucked. Yeah, absolutely fucked, right? Um, he's probably at this point had the equivalent of being like hit by a car or something in terms of body trauma but just drawn out over this night essentially right so um he and then he tries to get up after hitting the stone floor he tries to get up again but he fell headfirst into the front door knocking himself unconscious again oh jesus and then so remember he's in the basement because he's not the front door the basement door he's he's still in the basement so once again, a little bit later, he stands up and tries to get up the basement stairs. Um, but he fell back down again. And then for a couple of hours, like the party was still ongoing. It's obviously an all-nighter. The lads just leave him down there. Um, until several hours later, when some brothers come down the basement and discover him. I don't know if they come down to check on him or whatever. They discover him in the basement bar, cold and breathing rapidly. Oh, God. At this point, they carry him upstairs. Um, and after several minutes, this is all captured on the cameras, several minutes of trying to figure out what they should do, they oh. decided only then that his injuries were serious enough that he should receive medical attention. So I read somewhere they think this was like 12, like from the first kind of fall to the time that they decided to do something was about 12 hours. So it was like six to six or something oh like that, right? God. I am interested so, ab- about the person, though, that did try to convince them to call an ambulance initially and they pushed him up against a wall did he do you know if he stayed at the party um do you know it's a funny position like he you can imagine he could have just turned around though and gone on and necked another bottle and forgotten himself i guess yeah 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 because it's just chaos isn't it jesus yeah, so he's uh, the guy who tried to help him. His name is Cordell Davis. And Cordell has done an interview with a journalist for The Atlantic and said that basically, like, the guys convince you that, um, you know, you're wrong and that he's fine. Your mind is fine, essentially. Hmm. Um, 
and they just um, left him at it. Uh, I think Cordell leaves the party. So I think as well, as much as you were like, I would do the right thing in those situations, like it's kind of impossible to know what it's like up against that kind of pack mentality and you're the newcomer of course yeah yeah and it's like it's a cultural thing where they're obviously they're like oh we've done this before we've seen this it's grand like it's all just going to be funny stories they're obviously in the in the habit of getting people entirely fucked up and bad things happening right but anyway when they decide eventually to call 911 um they uh the, the emergency assistance arrives. The brothers wipe the blood from his face and attempt to dress him to keep him a little bit warm. Oh, they bring him to a medical center and then he's quickly transported to Penn State Medical Center because of the severity of his injuries. He's rushed into surgery and it's discovered that his spleen had ruptured. <gasps> he has a class four hem- hemorrhage-, hemorrhage. His brain had swollen to the point that roughly half his skull had to be removed to relieve the pressure. Oh my and God. And surgeons attempted to save his life deemed the like his injuries to likely be unrecoverable um early the morning so about 24 hours later he was pronounced dead and his blood alcohol level was um about 0.40 percent now i think that's like multitudes and multitudes above what your blood alcohol level should be um poor tim yeah poor tim not so 40 percent not 0.40%. Not 0.4%. Which is, what's the like... Well, it just sounds like... Not 0.4%. Just sounds a lot. It seems... It was obviously a lot. Uh, it's about four, four times what's legally kind of allowed or recommended. I don't think it's recommended, but like legally. Um... So this then resulted in uh, the largest hazing prosecution in U.S. history. So following in, in 2017, about f- three months later in May, after a grand jury investigation, 18 members of the fraternity were charged in <gasps> connection with Tim's death. Oh, my God. Eight, Holy yeah, shit. because... They have the whole thing on video and there's like loads of instances where guys are coming in and out and sitting on him or slapping him. And like that's the thing, it's it's the nobody did anything, even though he fell down the stairs and like he ran into the door and like stuff. Nobody sought any medical attention for him and they actively kind of hit him, poked him, whatever. God. But his injuries were a result of this Negative. ritualistic yeah, but also like the hazing activity, this stupid gauntlet game. Yeah, but yeah. he did, which he did consent to. I mean, yeah, he did. But like, if you're consenting in an environment where there's a lot of peer pressure on you to consent to something, is that really consent? Mm. If you have a bunch of powerful men standing around you telling you to do something and giving you the option, but the alternative of saying no is humiliation mm. and is exclusion and is, you know, there social is no ostracization. No. That's not consent. That's a rock and a hard place. Like, mm. um, it is obviously like desperately unfortunate that he decided to pledge into something. But I think if you pledge into a university and you want to pledge into a fraternity, you don't anticipate that it's going to lead to death. No, and this and was a particularly people. attractive fraternity. I mean, it was the, the the biggest fraternity house in in 
history. It's it's connected to all these powerful alum who mm. probably you come out of your fraternity regardless of your your um regardless of your results. qualifications and your results and it's the connections that get you the um the job. I know and then it's so, 18 people who had a choice like there was just so many chances for someone to do the right thing there it's galling yeah mm-hmm. so then um the beta hey the beta theta pi fraternity itself was also charged its penn state fraternity branch was closed after its president ordered it banned from campus campus indefinitely um the fraternity and its 18 members faced a combined total of 850 criminal charges. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So unlike the guys, all of the guys who were up on charges ranged. This is so desperate. Between the ages of 19 and 21. Like, God. you think that they're, you think that they know everything, but like that is. I guess that's the Irish equivalent of that leaving cert year. If you go abroad as a gang on a leaving yeah. cert holiday. Yeah. You know, the chaotic yeah, and it's feral. M- madness that happens. It is like children in an adult world. Yeah, but even like, do you remember on our Leaving Cert holiday, Jen's appendix nearly burst? Oh, yeah, that was amazingly. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, everyone was fucking locked. And I was, my temperature was so high, I was hallucinating. And I, like, there's no way I could like, have myself to help, help herself. Yeah, and Completely I couldn't, fucked. and everyone was just sort of drunkenly around me, and it wasn't only it wasn't until the morning that uh, Tim, our sober friend, who was he was just sober in the morning, called around to see if anyone wanted to go to the pool or something, and he saw me on the couch and was like, "Okay, we need an ambulance," and just jumped into action. Yeah, yeah, but that's the, yeah, that's that's just being around drunk people. Yeah. But so um, after his death, a couple, one of the lads pleaded guilty. Um, I'm not going to get into all of the convictions of all the different people or whatever, but basically Penn State University introduced a... Only one pleaded guilty. Only one pleaded. Was a, well, one pleaded guilty. His name was Ryan Burke, 21. He pleaded guilty to four counts of hazing and five counts of relation to unlawful acts involving liquor and deadly injuries um, in the deadly injuries Tim sustained. So... Penn State University introduced a thing called anti-hazing law, uh, which is which was approved by the Pennsylvania State Senate. So basically that created like tiers of hazing sort of. I don't know what you call them, like tiers of violations, and they would fine uh, universities based on um, hazing. But that happened in 2000, right? Tim. Died in February 2017. Since then, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other men have still died from hazing what? across America. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, so, one, Andrew Coffey in 2017, very Irish. I was going to say. Um, in Florida State University, Coffee died of alcohol, alcohol poisoning after drinking an entire bottle of bourbon. Um, his alcohol blood level was 0.55. Um, in 
2018 in November, Colin Wyant in Ohio died of asphyxiation due to nitrous oxide ingesting from whip cream charges, uh. part of a hazing practice involving sleep deprivation, physical beating and forced ingestion of alcohol and drugs. Jesus. In January 2019, Noah Domingo um, died of alcohol poisoning with a alcohol level of approximately 0.3. So obviously like 0.4 is toxic yeah um and then in november 2019 daniel hernandez uh it was at a phasing event in p gamma delta house and um, when he fell off and afterwards fell off the tump bed his top bunk bed hit his head um and they found that the fraternity was involved in possible misconduct so whether he was pushed or pulled or whatever off the bed in this hazing incident so there you have it that is creep diving on just men being idiots that is amazing mad. Oh my God, that is so tragic. Do you know what's dark? The oh. fucking CCTV of that party. Oh, yeah. Like, talk about they a said there was, film. They said there was hours and hours of it. Like it was observed over the, the trial. You wouldn't the trials, get out watching trials, that. No. You know, I'd say if you're a member of the, the jury. Member of the yeah. jury. Yeah, I'd say that'd be very hard to unsee. There's, so there's a really good long read on The Atlantic from um, Caitlin Flanagan a very Irish name um, about hazing deaths and she says there's over 60 hazing deaths in 80 years wow is that just I guess that's why they call it manslaughter it yeah. is just too fucking darkness funny. thank you Cassie oh my god luckily I guess we don't have that here no we don't we just have other viral things. internet TikTok ah. other things um are you going to cheer us up with some glowing ladies? I don't know, guys. I There's part of it that's cheer. Not a lot of it's cheery, but I'll fire it off anyway. So I, this, I don't know how it came to me. I think an imager, I always float through imager of an evening and something on there piqued my interest. And I thought, that sounds interesting. I hadn't kind of really heard of it before. Had you heard of radium poisoning or the radium girls? I know. Yeah. Hmm. It is a fucking amazing story. And I think it's being made into a film that was due to be released on the 3rd of April of this year. I think, I'm not sure that it came out at all yet, but it's in the works anyway. And the best article I found about it, which is what I'm going to tell you right now, is is a BuzzFeed article by Kate Moore. So thank you, Kate, for uh, collecting all this information that I'm now going to tell my two friends. Uh, so this is all set in 90, around 1920. And... Um, it's about the ghost girls. So this, we were, what, what, we are in World War I times. A war was just declared and working class women were sort of looking for work. I mean, at that stage, you're, you might have had a boyfriend or a husband and they were gone to war. And as part of the war effort, you were kind of Drafted ready in. to work and do what you can, what you needed to do. Just to like as well, to bring money. This is it. Exactly. So uh, they, so working class women flocked to this uh, place of employment, which was a studio where they employed women to paint watches and military dials with this new element that had been found called radium. So radium was discovered by, by Marie Curie and uh, about 20 years previous. And like things didn't end well for her. No, they so didn't. there was an understanding that radium was toxic 
at what they thought was enormous levels of exposure mm. to it, which people like Marie Curie had, did have. So um, anyway, these girls were dial painting and that was considered to be a pretty elite job. It was pretty nice. I mean, you got paid more than three times the average factory wage for this. Uh, and those l- lucky enough to land the position ranked in the top five of female workers nationally. So giving women the financial freedom in a time of female empowerment. So many of them were teenagers with small hands, delicate, tiny fingers, able to kind of, and good eyesight, able to do jobs of very tiny. They were literally painting the numbers the actual on the numbers. of watching along with other things. So there was also kind of, there was military end of this. They were kind of marking bits and bobs that need to be extremely small and also glow in the dark, which radium did happen to do. So they were doing that too. So, um, beep, 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 beep. so small hands, perfect for this type of work. They spread the message of their new job. So they all their friends and families and attracted a whole like families. So siblings, girlfriends all together in the studio painting. Um, so the fact that it's sort of glue in the dark or it's luminosity was a major part of the allure and the dial painters, no, became known as the ghost girls because by the time they finished their shifts they themselves would glow in the dark so no. they this was considered to be sort of a perk of the gig and what they do then is they wear their you know that what do they call those dance halls or their di- disco equivalent garb so they'd wear their whatever they have been planning to wear out on friday and saturday night to work it would become glow in the dark and then they would wear that out as sort of this cool and groovy thing in the nighttime which sounds kind of amazing uh so they would even uh which sounds a little strange but they would uh paint the radium onto their teeth yes they would use they would paint radium on they're playing with it on as nail varnish you remember tipex yeah yeah yeah. all that kind of carry on so um bit of uv paint like that's it. Having a mad crack with it. So uh, Grace was one of the workers and her, uh, her and her colleagues obediently followed the technique they'd been taught for painstaking handiwork of painting these tiny di- dials. So they were only about 3.3.5 centimetres wide, the dials. So they had these miniature paintbrushes, maybe one or two hairs even. Wow. So they were encouraged in there to put it between their lips to kind of moisten the tip to you know, so that the to hairs make would stick pointy, together to make yeah. it super pointy. So these to be called lip dip paint routine. So um, uh, an old playwright of the time, Melanie Marnish, later described it. So every time the girls raised their brushes to their mouths, they swallowed a tiny bit of this glowing green paint. Uh, there's, a mer- there's an amazing f- set of photographs of the uh, ghost girls in action because they were sort of super glamorous at the time. They're photographed, you know, with the tip between their lips in these kind of beautiful, you know, it, it, it looked amazing. But little did they fucking know what was going on. So at first, um, another, another lady who worked there had been interviewed for this. So at first or during around the time an interview was done with one of the ladies. The first thing we asked, says May, was does this stuff hurt you? And they were instructed. So naturally, she said, we didn't want to do anything that was going to hurt us. There was the feeling that radium was dangerous, but they were encouraged. They were actually at the time, they were encouraged that small amounts were actually beneficial. So, um, yeah, I know. So (laughs) so they knew that Marie Curie had suffered radiation burns from handling it. And they 
kind of there was an awareness that people had died from radium poisoning uh, before the dial painter, the first dial painter ever picked up a brush. So they kind of people did sort of know. Um, so that was why men at the radium. So this is what's kind of galling as well. So men at these radiation companies where the radium was developed before it was filtered out through to the studios for painting use. Um, were fully equipped with uh, lead-lined aprons, oh. uh, gloves, face masks, you know, PPE, as we as we know no so way. aware of, and uh, and then it was just arriving into the studios to the bri- the brides to, you know, horse it into their gob, basically. <laughs> so obviously, our dial painters were not afforded such protection. So, so that was this article said at the time a small amount of radium such as girl was believed to be beneficial. So people drank radium water as a tonic and you could buy cosmetics, butter, milk and toothpaste. Laced and this is this available to the public with this wonder element. And the advertising at the time was that it contained radium, this new thing that blah, blah, it's all this bullshit. Sort radium of, this makes of, you radiant kind of uh, shit. Well, yeah, I guess. It had, oh, wow. Uh, un, yeah. yeah, it was just so irresistible from a marketeering perspective because it had this glow. And it was so attractive from that respect. It just was unearthly. Like you could add it to anything and then attract your buyers in. So apparently they understood it to in small amounts to add years to your life. Um, but that belief was founded upon research conducted by the time by the very radium firms who had built their lucrative industry around it. So isn't it always the way? Yeah. So like in t- like when you're looking at Trump and his fucking, you know, his shares and whatever drug companies pushing to cure COVID-19, it's the similar kind of scene. So uh, they ignored all the danger signs when asked. Managers told girls the substance would put roses in their cheeks. Um, so in 1922, one of Grace's colleagues, Molly Magia, had to quit the studio because she was sick. Uh, so she didn't know what was wrong with her. Her trouble had started with an aching tooth. Her dentist pulled the tooth, but then the next tooth started hurting and also had to be extracted. In the place of the missing tooth, agonizing ulcers sprouted as dark flowers, blooming red, yellow blood with pus, oh. and they seeped constantly, making her breath foul. She suffered aching pains in her lips, in her limbs that were so agonizing that eventually she was unable to walk. The doctor thought it was rheumatism sent her home with some aspirin. So they, they didn't know and no connection was made by then. By May of that year, uh, I think she had beginning to began to get sick at the start of the year. So a few months later, at that point, she had most of her jaw, oh, she had lost most of her jaw and teeth and this mysterious infection had spread her entire lower jaw and the roof of her mouth and some of the bones in her ears oh. were said to be one large abscess. Could, oh, I can only oh fucking imagine the pain of that. So and the smell of her head. Listen, oh, Jesus. The actual It was. I don't head. know if you've ever had you're a root right, canal Cassie. or an abscess, but it doesn't smell nice when you're sitting next to someone who's got an abscess in there too. That was the actual wor- least of her fucking worries. Um, so she headed into the dentist and the dentist delicately prodded her jawbone inside her mouth and to his horror and shock, it just broke against his fingers. He removed it, not by operation, but by merely putting his fingers in her mouth and lifting it out. Oh my God. Only days later, her, her entire lower jaw was removed the same way. So. Oh my God. Horrendous. And what about her skin? Like, is it all? Oh, like Molly just was a- literally falling apart. Oh so my God. And she wasn't the only one. By now, Grace 
Friar, who we were talking about earlier, too, was having trouble with her jaw, suffering pains in her feet, and so were the rest of the Radium Girls. So in September, imagine of the terror. Oh, listen, the strange of infection of seeing what had just happened. Yeah, there. I mean, they knew Molly. They were all friends. They worked in the same studio, and then Grace. And then Grace like, lads, I'm having this fucking toothache as well. And slowly, one by one. So by September, this disinfection that played Molly for less than a year uh, spread to the tissues of her throat. The disease away at her jugular vein. And at 5 p.m. Um, on that date, September 12th, 1922, her mouth was flooded with blood as she hemorrhaged so fast that a nurse could not staunch it. She died at the age of 24. Oh, oh my doctors God. wait for this doctors flummoxed as to the cause of death <gasps> her death certificate erroneously said she died of syphilis oh something her former company would use against her later in the court case no. it's that interesting Those so as if by clockwork fucks. one by one of molly's former colleagues soon followed her to the grave so uh this so the young woman's employer, this USRC, which was a company they worked for, denied any responsibility for the deaths for almost two years after suffering a downturn in business because of what they saw as gossip that wouldn't go away. In 1924, they finally commissioned an expert to look at the rumored link between dial painting profession and women's death. So, unlike the company's own research into the radium benefits, uh, this study was independent. And so when the experts confirmed the link between radium and women's illness, the, pre- the president of the firm was outraged. So instead of accepting the findings, he paid for a new fucking study that published the opposite conclusion. Oh. He also lied to the Department of Labor, uh, which had begun investigating about the verdict of the original report. Publicly, he denounced the women as trying to palm off their illness on the firm and described their attempts to get some financial help for their mounting medical so and also he like this it just was so fortuitous for him that molly had been erroneously her her cause of death had been put down as syphilis because this gave him ammunition like this was a gang of beautiful women in their you know yeah 18 19 20 obviously riding all around them exactly yeah so their kind of loose antics is what, it, you know, had them, according to him. So with the report hushed up, the women's bi- biggest challenge at this point was proving the link between the mysterious illness and the radium uh, that they'd been ingesting hundreds of times a day. So though they themselves discussed the fact that their work must be to blame, they were fighting against widespread belief that radium was safe. Like at the time, uh, the mass hysteria that that would have taken place, I mean, true people have these products in their homes on their wrists mm. in their yeah. they're washing their children with radium soap they oh, were Jesus. fucking serving their grannies radium fucking tonic wine and all this mad shit like if this was to blame this it, it was going to be fucking huge um so where were we so in fact it was only when the first male it's employee, probably like how we, we'd feel if they discovered that butter was toxic i mean we're all going down with it I'm not giving yeah. that shit up. Uh, I don't think radium was as delicious, it's mind like, you. It's like way I'm drinking a Diet Coke here. I know. Um, That'll be removed. As her lower jaw just falls to the floor. <laughs> Sad for Sophie. 
so where was I? Oh, right. Wait for this. In fact, it was only when the first male employee of the radium firm died that experts finally well, took up Well, what charge. do you know? Oh, but of course. So in 1925, so this is what, three years later, a brilliant doctor named Harrison Martland devised tests that proved once and for all radium had poisoned the fucking women. So um, this doctor also explained what was happening inside their bodies. So as early as 1901, it had been evident that radium could harm humans directly uh, when applied externally. So Pierre Curie, you know, Mary's other half, once mm. remarked that he would not want to be in a room with a kilo of pure radium because he believed it would burn all the skin off his body, destroy his eyesight and would probably kill him. So Martland discovered that when radium was used internally, even a tiny amounts, the damage was many thousands of times greater. So the ingested radium had subsequently settled in the women's bodies and was now emitting a constant destructive radiation that no. honeycombed their bones. Oh my it God. was literally boring holes inside them while they were alive. They were basically it being the women's absolutely it oh attacked my God, yeah. the women's uh the women all over their bodies. So Grace Grace, our earlier lady, her spine, a friend of uh, Molly was crushed. Her spine was crushed. Uh, she had to wear a steel back brace. Another girl's jaw eaten away to a merely a stump. A woman's leg shortened and spontaneously fractured. Uh, so these damaged bones began weirdly and also obviously uh, to glow from the radium embedded deep <gasps> within them. So this got the light that does not lie. So sometimes the women. Ugh, this is sad and you can imagine this happening so the women realized she might have had radium poisoning when she caught sight of herself in the mirror in the nighttime oh and oh my god and she was going. a ghost girl was reflected there shining with this unnatural luminosity so you can imagine the fucking horror of as the kind of information started spilling oh my out god. to see yourself so martland this doctor had also realized that the poisoning was fatal and now that it was inside the majority of these girls, there was no way of removing it. There was no treatment. Um, so despite the radium industry's attempts to discredit Martland, his pioneering work, they hadn't reckoned with the courage and tenacity of the radium girls themselves. So they started banding together and fighting to fight for this injustice. Come so on, girls. it was a massively altruistic move. Um, uh, after all, the dial painters still were still employed, being employed across the United States. Uh, it's not for I myself, I care. Jo Joyce, so jo Joyce, so Grace was one of these fighters and she was in fucking ribbons at this stage. And she said, it's not, it is not for myself, I care. I am thinking more for the hundreds of girls whom this may serve as an example. So yeah. this is still ongoing. And because she during had a this death time, sentence like. She was, she was, she was a goner. She so was Grace goner, led yeah. the fight, determined to find a lawyer, even after countless attor attorneys turned her down, either disbelieving the women's claims, running scared from a powerful radium corporations or being unprepared to fight a legal, illegal battle that demanded an overturn of existing legislation. It just seemed enormous, like this fucking yeah. mountain. So at the time, radium poisoning was not a compensable a compensatable disease because obviously they didn't believe it to be the cause of the disease and um, it hadn't been discovered until the girls got sick and the women um, were also stymied by the statute of limitations which ruled that the victims of op occupational poisoning had to bring their legal case within two years radium poisoning was insidious so most girls did not start getting sick until at least five years um, 
no were trapped way. in this fucking legal battle that just never it was just anyway it was going on and on but grace was the daughter of a union delegate and she was determined to hold a clear guilty um hold she was determined to hold a clearly guilty firm to account yes very determined grace this picture of her here in this thing she's very beautiful so eventually in 1927 uh, a young lawyer named Raymond Berry accepted their case and Grace, along with four colleagues, found herself at the centre of an internationally famous courtroom drama. So by now, however, time was running. You can only imagine like these women as well, visually shocking at this stage. Very young. It just, it looked like something unnatural was happening. So, and a lot of them had just been given months to live. Grace herself had been given months to live at this stage. And the company seemed intent on dragging out the legal proceedings so cruel. As a consequence, Grace and her friends were forced to settle outside of court, but they had raised the profile of radium poisoning, just as Grace had hoped. So uh, the New Jersey radium girls case was front page news. I'd said shockwaves through America in, in Illinois, a dial painter by the name of Catherine Wolfe read the coverage with horror. And um, there were meetings at the plant that bordered on riots, she remembers. The chill of the fear was so depressing that we could scarcely work. So yet Illinois firm uh, Radium Dial took a leaf out of USRC's book and denied responsibility. Mm -hmm. Although the firm's medical tests proved the Illinois women were showing clear signs of radium poisoning, it lied about the results. It even placed a full-page ad in the local paper saying if we at any time had reason to believe that the conditions of work endangered our employees, we would at once have suspended operations. Its actions to hush up the scandal went as far as interfering with the girls' autopsies uh, when the Illinois workers began to die. So company officials actually stole the radium-riddled bones uh, for their cover-up. Oh, God. Jesus. That's incredible. I know. So if the women weren't killed by some jaw problems that had taken uh, Molly the same, they were eventually uh, suffered for sar- sar- sarcomas, so cancers. So huge cancerous bone tumors that could grow anywhere in their body. Um, one painter died from massive pelvic tumor that was said to be larger than two footballs. So oh, anyway, in, in 1938, Catherine Wolfe developed a grapefruit sized tumor that uh, bulged on her lip like molly before her she lost teeth had to pick pieces of her jawbone out of her mouth constantly held patterned net handkerchief to her jaw to absorb the ever seeping pus oh. she also was watching her friends die all around her uh catherine when catherine started her fight for justice it was the mid-30s america was in the grip of the great depression catherine and her friends were shunned by the community for suing one of the few firms left standing God. Uh, desperate so uh, though close to death when her case went to court in 1938, Catherine ignored doctor's advice and instead gave evidence from her deathbed. She was literally on a fucking couch. There's a photograph of her here. She's skeletal and um, surrounded by male lawyers. You can see three women in the back. They look to be family members. And this is her giving her, her, her fucking evidence. So she finally won justice. So basically in doing so with the help of her lawyer, uh, she won justice not only for herself but workers everywhere. So, Radium Girls' case was one of the first in which an employer was made responsible for the health of the company's employees, and it led to life-saving regulations and ultimately the establishment of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which now operates nationally across the United States to protect workers. So, it's like so incredible effort on on, on half of these young 
women are very so sick as well i mean it's a fucking mad story really i can't but i've never heard it can't believe i've never heard that story it's it wild. seems like such a vital part of history. Yeah, that's maddening. It's probably because it's about women. Mm. Yeah, and not only that, Cass, it's about young women. So pre-child, so, you know, it, it's a, so specific to, to, to a gang of, I guess, yeah. like, would have been looked at at the time as sort of expendable. I mean, they, were, they weren't mothers yeah. yet. They weren't fighting in war. They were kind of just fancy ladies painting, you know, it's devastating. Yeah. But it's absolutely it's really fascinating. Heroic. I mean, Jesus. Amazing. Amazing bravery on behalf of those and like their legacy shall live on through the creep dive stories and this future film, hopefully, that, that does take place because it's an amazing story. It's so fantastic. Sad. I mean, it is like all we have to do is stay home and wash <laughs> yeah. our hands. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely providing welcome perspective yeah. for me. Oh. Yeah. But Jesus. Um, but yeah, but but hooray for them and uh, down with big corporations. Is um, Helena Bonham Carter in the movie? No, from my just my brief research there into it, it looks like kind of an art house film. Nobody, nobody massive in it. Uh, Juno Films, though, starring uh, Emmy and Globe, uh, Golden Globe nominee Joey King. Never heard of her. She apparently was in the act. Kissing yeah, Boots. no, she's 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 um, Gypsy Rose in the act. Kuwait. <gasps> Okay, yeah. well there you oh, so go. So there's it. so our our creep type listeners will rec- will, will recognize her. Um, thank you very that much. Yeah, creep. Oh yeah, um, you're welcome, both thank of you. you. That, yeah, they were two brilliantly, uh, you know, I suppose left field areas of exploration of creeping. Well, well, funny enough, your Cassie's is men of the very same age, uh, and mine was females. You know that way. Yeah. Young people. The youth. The youth the is the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to run because I have to go to the toilet. Thank you all for creeping with Thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, patronize should you wish. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.